on a number of occasions throughout today, we have been reminded that this is the day of Pentecost, and I want to speak to you this evening specifically on the relationship between the exalted and ascended Lord and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I deliberately read to you from the end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, because I want to take my text from another piece of Luke's writing in the Acts of the Apostles. But the two things are very closely connected. Turn with me then in your Bibles to the book of Acts and to chapter 2. And we read just one verse, verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, which you now see and hear. This is actually part of the very first Pentecostal sermon ever to be preached. The preacher is the Apostle Peter, and he utters these words immediately after the tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the 120 disciples who were gathered together in the upper room. It's part of a sentence from Peter's message, preached by Peter on the day when the church itself was born. And I believe very strongly, and I hope to show to you tonight, that this is one of the crucial verses that helps us to understand the rest of the Acts of the Apostles. And not just the history of the Christian church as it is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, but the whole history of the Christian church right down to the present time. Peter is actually telling us in this text exactly what God the Father thinks of his own Son the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's not at all difficult if we were to go out into the streets of Edinburgh tonight to find out by and large what the majority of society thinks about Jesus. It was mentioned right at the beginning of our service. He is despised and rejected. Even though Jesus Christ came to his own and came to them with the promise of great blessing, he was not received. And by and large, that is still the situation that you and I find ourselves in this evening. Although the church of God, both militant here on earth and gloriously triumphant in heaven, is comprised of an innumerable company of people 
there are many times when you and I feel that we may be just a lone voice because we are surrounded by people who seem to have no time for Jesus, who seem quite clearly to have rejected him. And when Peter preached that first great Pentecostal message, he must have been deeply aware that he was speaking to a nation and specifically to a city that had not only rejected Jesus, but had been responsible for his execution. And yet with great boldness and courage, Peter makes this declaration. The Jesus that they had rejected has now been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And having received from the Father the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, he has now from that exalted position poured out that which you now see and hear. In effect, Peter says, you killed him, but the Father has crowned him. And that's what we're celebrating on this Pentecost evening. Not just the exaltation of Christ back to the place where he truly belongs, but the fact that from that exalted position, and had he not reached it, there would have been no gift of the Spirit. It's from there that he pours out the Holy Spirit to create the church, to work in the lives of men and women and draw them to Christ and bring them new birth by the miracle of regeneration and to revive his church and to empower his church and to equip people like you and me to carry on the very work of Christ. For how is this Christ-rejecting world to know that there is an exalted Lord unless some of his Lordship is expressed in our lives. Let me put that differently. What Peter seems to be saying here is that there is a very, very close connection between all the major events that happened in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only for the convenience of explanation that we divide up the incarnation from the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension and the exaltation and the gift of the Spirit. But strictly speaking, all these events constitute one great redemptive moment. And Peter grasps that. Peter grasps that there is a very close connection between Christ being exalted 
to the Father's right hand. What we were celebrating last Sunday, the first Sunday after Ascension Day, and what we celebrate tonight, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as the Lord will help me, I want to try and get that message not only into your hearts tonight to stir them, not even merely into your minds to inform them, but I'm aiming for the will. I'm aiming for that part of the human psyche that makes choices and makes decisions. Because I believe that's exactly what Peter did here under the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just getting emotional. And it's so easy to become emotional on Pentecost Sunday when we speak about the things of the Spirit and, and think we've been touched by the Spirit. The only way you know that the Holy Spirit has touched your life is when you know that he has also moved your will and moved your will in the direction of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So out of this text, I'm going to make two main points. I want to say something first of all about the significance of Christ's exaltation. And then secondly, I want to focus on the consequence of Christ's exaltation. Now those are not difficult points to carry in the mind. And I believe that they both arise very naturally from this particular verse of Scripture. Let's look first at the significance of Christ's exaltation. And the key word here, as we said this morning, is the little word, therefore. Therefore. What Peter has to say in verse 33 looks back to what he has already mentioned in verse 32. What has he said in verse 32? This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Here's Peter making that connection. Theologians call this the Christ event. Everything that happened to Christ must be seen as a whole. And everything that happened to Christ was of a substitutionary character. It's quite usual for us to speak about Christ dying for us, but everything that Christ did was for us. And his exaltation to the throne and his outpouring of the Spirit is merely further evidence of that. You'll notice that Peter is rather careful not to say that Jesus was resurrected. But he chooses the broader term 
And he speaks about him being raised. He has been raised. That includes the bodily resurrection, of course. But it also takes you much further to the idea that our Savior is an exalted Lord. The highest place that heaven affords is his by sovereign right. The King of kings and Lord of lords and heaven's eternal light. Jesus has been raised Raised from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. And this was a constant theme of the early Christians. And the more I read the story of the Christian church in the book of Acts, and the more I read about those great moments of revival blessing, scattered throughout the history of the church, the more convinced I become that such blessing is intimately connected with making Jesus Christ Lord's. Because that's the Pentecostal model. He's done so much by giving him a place at his own right hand. The Father cannot be praised enough. He's in the place of authority, the place of honor, the place of power. This is the central theme of Peter's message. And when I was preparing this message for this service tonight, I reached a point as I was praying about the message when I asked to ask God, is this true for me? And I'm asking of you tonight. Is Jesus Christ in the place of authority and power in your life and mine? God has made him both Lord and Christ. That's part of the significance of his exaltation. He has been raised. And not only that, having been raised, he has also been rewarded because he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. I'm sure you have given thought to the Holy Spirit being given to the disciples and being poured out on the church and working in the lives of individuals. But has it ever struck you that the first person to receive the Holy Spirit in fullest measure was the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was conceived by the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, 
even though he conducted the whole of his teaching and healing and deliverance ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, even though he offered up himself on the cross through the eternal Spirit, even though he was raised by the Holy Spirit on the first Easter Sunday morning, there was still something new For Christ in his exalted and glorified humanity to experience of the Holy Ghost. And had he not been the recipient of the promise of the Father, once he reached back to heaven, then there could be no promise held out to us that in our sinful and feeble humanity, the same power would be available and would be promised. Jesus has been raised and he has also been rewarded. You remember that at his baptism, heaven itself opened And Christ received the Spirit there. He was anointed with the Spirit to fulfill the next three and a half years of ever increasingly difficult ministry. But in his exaltation, heaven is again opened, but this time to receive Christ. And he's given the Spirit, not for his own benefit, but to bestow upon others. Let me explain it like this. Listen carefully. There are four Gospels. The first three are quite different in character from the fourth. John's Gospel. And nowhere is the difference more clearly seen than in relation to how the Spirit in the life of Christ is talked about. Speaking in broad and in general terms, Matthew, Mark and Luke present the Lord Jesus Christ as the Spirit-filled man par excellence. He has the Spirit. He possesses the Spirit. But when you get into John's Gospel, written a considerable number of years after the first three, there's the added insight that the Spirit not only is bestowed upon Christ here at the exaltation, but He in receiving the promised Spirit, becomes the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And he shares, he shares what has been given to him. So here is Christ being raised and rewarded, and then he is resourced. Not for his own benefit, but for yours and for mine. 
God the Father through Christ the Son is ever poised, waiting and wanting to give to us the gift of the Spirit. I can think of no better or more biblical way of speaking about what it means to be truly converted to Christ than by using the Lord's own terminology later taken up in the Acts and doctrinally explained by Paul. It is to be baptized in the Spirit. To be initiated into the very place where Christ himself is. And any subsequent experience that God might graciously give to us is merely a further filling of what he has already given to us in Christ. When I became the minister of Maxwell Merton's Castle Church in Newton Merton's, I remember preaching the first Sunday in January, I, I, I became the minister in the September, and I, I was preaching about Abraham. And I used the illustration of when I was learning to swim. I didn't learn to swim until I was 12, and the teacher had a hard task even to get me into the water. And he used to say, you will never swim unless you get in. And that morning, shaking hands at the door, a lady in her 80s, who had been a member of the church since the age of 16, grabbed my hand and said, you know, I can't swim. And I laughed. And then it clicked what she was saying. And I went round to see her later that week. And she was the first person in that congregation and under that ministry that I led to Christ. And when she eventually died, 86 or 87, you couldn't keep her down. I don't mean after she had died. <laughs> she, she was spiritually irrepressible. Because something... She had got in. She had got in. Now I do need to ask you that tonight. As a visiting preacher, I cannot tell by the look on your faces who might be Christian and who are not. If you're not yet a Christian, don't let that bother you. That's where we all started. The important thing is that you start. Could it be on Pentecost Sunday 2008 that at last you're going to let the Spirit of the exalted Lord who has been nagging away at your conscience for such a long time, are you going to allow him to begin that great work in you that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to procure for you? That's why he's exalted. 
That's the significance of this. What's the consequence? He has poured out this which you now see and hear. The coming of the Holy Spirit that day was evidence to the disciples that Jesus was now glorified. This is the crowning act. This is the culmination of that spotless life and that atoning death and that glorious resurrection and that mighty and mysterious exaltation. This is what it's about. That God the Father might get His Son to a position where He is able to give to Him what He wants to give to all mankind through His Son. He wants to pour out that which you now see and hear. Jesus exalted as Lord is exercising a divine function in giving the Spirit. I just wonder sometimes if we put things round the wrong way. I'm certainly not a gambling man, but I bet there are people in this congregation tonight, maybe Christian people, who have been seeking the Holy Spirit for years and years and years, and apparently nothing's happened. Peter doesn't say, go after the Spirit. Peter says, focus on the Lordship of Christ. That's how you know you have the Spirit. That's how you know that you're filled with the Spirit. There can be no spiritual blessing until Jesus Christ is recognized and acknowledged as Lord. We struck that note in our opening praise. Majesty. Majesty. And of course it's obvious from what Peter's preaching here that there can be no blessing apart from the cross. Have you spent far too long asking God to bless you? When all the time he has been saying, I, I, I can't bless you until you take the message of the cross more seriously. I can't bestow upon you more and more of my own very being until you get your being out of the way. Until you reach the point where you can say, it's not only that Jesus died, but I need to die. Can we say tonight, 
It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and, and the life that I'm now living, albeit in the flesh, I'm actually living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus didn't just give himself in the incarnation, wonderful as that was. He didn't just give himself in ministry throughout his earthly life. We say it reverently, he he didn't merely give himself on the cross. His whole nature is to give. And he gives himself best in the promised gift of the Spirit. Quite clearly there can be no blessing outside of Christ. It's connected with his exaltation. It's the evidence of his lordship. Look, let, let me tell you this. Many, many years ago, I was involved in a mission in a Methodist church in Winton down in Bournemouth. And the house where I lived for the ten days of the mission belonged to a lady who was a very, very keen royalist. And the bedroom that she gave me for those ten days was covered in various pieces of memorabilia to do with the royal family. Not just the present royal family, but stretching back. I had a look at it, of course, And I couldn't help but notice that at one end of a very heavily laden old-fashioned mantelpiece, there was a collection of mugs and plates and various things commemorating the coronation of King Edward VIII. And I thought, that's interesting. Because although Edward VIII technically and legally became king, he abdicated before he was crowned. And yet she had all the mementos. She had all the little things that said, yes, he is king. But he was never actually crowned. And my greatest fear on this Pentecost Sunday is that you and I will have all the memorabilia. Every translation of the Bible under the sun. The best of praise CDs. Everything associated with King Jesus. But lacking in the one thing that really matters. That you have crowned him king of your life.
Because being exalted to the right hand of the Father, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, He waits to pour out upon you and me blessings that we can only imagine. May God help us to be open to what He wants to do in our lives. Let us pray.